Welcome to The Culture Bar, a panel discussion podcast exploring, dissecting and shedding light on important topics in the arts and music world which matter to you. Hello, I'm Henry Southern. In this episode of The Culture Bar, we'll be exploring how sacred music can be relevant in a secular society. And in order to tackle this big question, we're delighted to be joined by Paul Evans, Canon of Ely Cathedral, Sophie Janan, Chief Conductor of the BBC Singers and Music Director of Matrice de Radio France, and Tito Visser, Artist Director of the Netherlands Chamber Choir. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. So now we are um, very fortunate to have a UK and international perspective on our panel today. Um, so in order to give some context to the discussion, and we're considering the issue of relevance, it'll be great to hear from all of you about really what is sacred music to you and what is the role of religion and faith within your society more generally. Um, so Paul, I'm gonna to come to your, you first. You've worked all around the world and perhaps you could perhaps reveal in what capacity, um, but now you're at Ely Cathedral and it'd be great to get your thoughts on this. Well, that's a bit of a bit of a starter. Um, well, I'm Paul Evans. I, um, for the last six and a half years, have been the CEO of the Church of England in East Anglia, um, centred on Ely Cathedral. I used to have a real job. I was uh, for 23 years a member of British Intelligence, MI6. And after that, I ran uh, Britain's serious crime agency for the best part of eight years and um, uh, arrived completely by mistake in Ely. Um, but reflecting, of course, my, my other life, which is I've sung everywhere uh, and at any time. I started life at six and a half as a chorister in Christchurch, Oxford. I sang as a choral scholar at Cambridge. And in my various postings in great places like Vienna and Washington, D.C., sang in some pretty serious choirs. Um, including uh, a marvellous time in Washington, D.C., where I worked with CIA and the FBI in the morning, but had to put my pen down at 4.30 to go and sing Colleen's song in the National Cathedral every afternoon. Um, and um, that's me. Uh, in terms of, you asked the question about faith, what does it all mean? Well, not a lot to me. I once read the Ladybird Book of Jesus, part one, as a small child, uh, but choral music has runs in my veins. But uh, of course, nowhere to the distinguished level of the other guests. Thank you. That's, that's, uh, that's a great introduction. And I spoke with Ely Cathedral. Um, to do, I'm right thinking it's part of the Anglo tradition, the Church of England. And I suppose, do you find in your diocese, I mean, what's the demographic like? Because obviously, within um, as a country, we very much celebrate our multiculturalism and, and it's a multi faith society. So we've got all sorts. Um, in the midst of it all is Cambridge with everything that that provides, both in collegiate choirs, but also some major uh, places of worship. And then the Fenland, where 95% of people voted for Brexit. And we have some of the biggest deprivation indices uh, in the UK. We've got towns that probably your other guests haven't heard of, like Wisbeach and Ramsey and Chatteris, um, where, well, I could go on, but, um, uh, there's a very demographic, most of it white, most of it late middle-aged, um, and a growing absence of children from our presence. Um, with all the other things that are besetting the Church of England as its, as its problems. Um, and it's a real challenge, actually, to, um, to, to, to make it relevant. But the music, um, music of real quality, um, is at the centre of our worship. And that's what we do at the cathedral, and are still doing it believe it or not, even in these 
terrifically difficult times. That's really great to hear. Thank you. And Tito, when I first met you several years ago, you told me that there are more people singing in choirs in the Netherlands than there are playing football. Um, so sacred music, or at least maybe in the Christian court tradition, or maybe and others, seems more relevant than ever. True. Um, yes, we have about 10.7% of the population singing in choirs, which is, of course, under huge pressure at the moment because of the corona crisis and the fact that singing is in such a bad shape at the moment. Uh, the, uh, supposedly all the viruses going around in, in choirs. Um, but we have 1.7 million uh, people singing in a choir and we have one, 1 million people being member of a football club. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge social, social activity. And obviously uh, the, um, the, the start of, of it all uh, was with, with, with uh, the churches around the Netherlands and above the, the big rivers, the, the Rhine, uh, as, uh, as the main one, the Rhine, uh, above it is, it is all Protestant, below it is, uh, is, is Catholic, but uh, with the, uh, yeah, the fallback of, of, of interest in, 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 in faith and especially in Christian faith, um, of course, this, this, this is also um, the amount of people really believing is, is, is under pressure. And I think that for a lot of people, the, the sacred music in general, the choral music, uh, especially is, is, has become sort of the uh, substitute ritual for people. It's, 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 we're still looking in this society for, for rituals um, uh, as, as, the, as the function of, of the churches has, has fallen away in, uh, to, 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 to a great extent. And, um, and that's, that's, um, yeah, that's something very um, um, uh, remarkable because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a highly uh, uh, turmoil society. We all live through um, uh, the, through uh, through social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and uh, you, but you still feel that strong need for 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 people to to create rituals within their daily lives. And for a lot of people, uh, singing in a choir is such a daily ritual. Uh, so it's not only part of the churches; it's also a social. Uh, activity which is highly important especially for the older people in the Netherlands um, and uh, now with the corona crisis uh, what you see is that all of those people all, those, all the people there they're losing their friends they're losing their contacts because of the fact that they can't go to their choral rehearsal on Wednesday evening and uh, so the, the corona crisis um, is is in that extent to that extent also a uh, uh, big disaster in a, in, a, in a social sense. Super, I saw you nodding along there. Um, and it's interesting, yes. the, the point you make about ritual and is there, so Sophie, you have your perspective as being BBC singers in the UK, but also I gather you've got French and Swedish heritage, so quite a different yes. blend, wonderful blend there, but um, we, Great to get your perspective on that. Yes, and, and as Tido uh, said about the Netherlands, in Sweden we have the same phenomenon. Uh, we have a huge amount of people singing in choirs and we have such a strong choral tradition, um, I think for two main reasons. One is the church and one is also being a very small country of the north like Sweden. We are also very uh, connected to our 
traditional music and our folk traditions. And I think combining these two have made also this sort of choral miracle happen uh, in Scandinavia. So it's true that every post office, bank, uh, school uh, has choirs, um, and also uh, among the senior citizens as the youngest children who start singing very young. And that's how I grew up. Uh, I was at the same time member of the Young Eagles Club, which was the sort of left uh, political uh, club for, for toddlers and young children, but also part of the church choir uh, singing every Sunday and uh, singing it was just a part of life. And uh, in my church choir, this is how I, I think, completely decided to become a, a musician. It was thanks to my choral activity and being able to discover the beautiful repertoire that the church choir could offer. Um, and I now live in France. I'm from a French father and a Swedish mother. So um, growing up in the Lutheran tradition, but today living in France, uh, which had a, a separation between state and church much earlier than Sweden, but still quite rooted in its Catholic tradition. They claim not to be, but you know, we still have Monday Pentecost as a public holiday and uh, we celebrate um, the, the major holidays um, quite frankly here in France. Uh, you go to a bistro to eat lunch on a Friday, you will not find meat on the daily special, but fish. So, I mean, there is there are very strong traces uh, of the church's influence. And I think it's it's for me living in a in a society that's today very weary of, in many ways, um, showing uh, faith, showing any sort of uh, religious uh, belonging or 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 adhesion. It, I just feel that music still has, thankfully, uh, the right and the, the place to exist. Uh, I. I teach here in Paris compared to what I do in London with the BBC Singers. And uh, my children that I teach here are of 29 different nationalities. Um, the majority of those living in social housing and coming from uh, different cultures. Um, and I've just seen how it's been quite easy so far um, to actually perform in churches. And I have all the African communities and the Maghreb communities, uh, and they sit on the steps and they drink of the church and they drink their juice box and sharing a bag of crisps and the parents come because they do understand that what we do at the, at the radio is that although we are a secular choir, we also uh, visit these places of culture as well. Um, and this is also such an important role of the church, which it has always played in Sweden too. The church is also a community center. It's also a place of art and culture. And I, and I do hope that we can keep it that way. I'd imagine, Paul, that's quite similar in Ely Cathedral as well, so its benefits to the community. And also what you know, Sophie mentioned about tradition as well, which is something very much prevalent in the UK. We still celebrate Easter, sing hymns at Christmas, etc. Well, there's, there's a popular view that all cathedrals are really are, you know, it's the, it's the um, National Trust with hymns. Um, the National Trust being some sort of conservationist body. And of course, it could become that. What I, what I, what's ringing a lot of bells with me is, of course, the way in which music flows through people's lives, particularly from a young age, uh, how, how formative that is. But also, 
um, I'm touched by, by this notion of ritual. And whilst, of course, you know, in a secular Britain, um, uh, church attendance is declining, faith is, you know, as Matthew Arnold once put it, you know, the long uh, sigh of the withdrawing faith on the beach. Dover Beach, very interesting poem from 1780. Um, uh, there is a real yearning amongst people uh, reflected actually in people turning up to see the cathedral and to listen to its music for something that's excellent and actually points in a direction of something that isn't about what we do every day of the week. It isn't about the cut and thrust of politics or whatever that might be. It is something truly um, transcendental in the proper use of the word. Um, and I hear people talking about this all the time, not in huge numbers, but the numbers are, you know, encouragingly increasing. I couldn't say the same for, for parish churches, but maybe we'll get on to talk about kids and singing, um, which is my great passion, um, as Henry knows. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm encouraged, and I think it is about not just the, um, the, the social relevance of a big building, but also uh, about what it stands for in terms of its artistic contribution to our lives, and this notion that you can listen to something that's really good um, and live. And it's just such a fantastic experience. Even at my great age, I still remember what it was like singing in the first performance of Wharton's The Twelve, age seven, um, back in Oxford. And it sticks with you. It becomes part of your life. And I'm sure your other guests feel the same. Dida, you want, do you want to enter? Yes, and I, I very much relate to what you say, uh, Paul. It's, it's the, um, in, a, in a world where the... the one liner wins it over the nuance. I mean, we're in the in the midst of awaiting results of the of the American elections here, and and what I find so amazing about the, about choral music is is it it really has a function in society, in the sense that it um, it it serves a purpose, and I feel the purpose is 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 um, is twofold. And very necessary for, for for very necessary for this this society. From one side, it, it's it's unifying, and we have all these researchers, Oxford University, October two thousand fifteen, saying that um, uh, choral singing um, accelerates friendship making in an unprecedented way. So that shows this unifying force of singing together. The way a Swedish research from Stockholm University where they did research on the fact that heartbeats are synchronizing when you sing together. Um, but also it is something incredibly vulnerable. It shows um, our humanity. Um, um, my father was an opera singer himself. And um, he used to say, uh, he, he once said in an interview, he said, well, um, the, um, uh, uh, oboe player, he can mess up his high note and looks disgusted as it's at its instrument, like like the the saxophone player from the Muppet Show. Ah, and then he looks into his instrument. And um, but what do I look at when I mess up my high note? I look at myself. It's that vulnerable body that needs to speak. And, and at the same time, when you are together and and show that vulnerability and share that vulnerability, so to speak then you yeah you really achieve something quite remarkable uh, from one side and from the other side something exceptionally necessary in this highly segregated uh, society 
couldn't agree more. And um, I think I certainly resonate with the fact, so I have a core background myself and uh, that unifying element of singing together is, is, is fantastic. And as you say, there's many social and health benefits to that as well. Um, Sophie, within, within the context of, um, well, for the sound of things as well, it, regardless of whether it's uh, of the context of the music, whether it's got a sacred setting or regardless, obviously singing has a pertinence and relevance there. Do you find that's also the case um, in France? Because particularly with the tradition of secularism and freedom of expression, particularly at the moment now, it's being challenged more than ever. Is that what you find in your work over there? Well, things are evolving uh, in, a, in a quite worrying way. Um, in the national education system, we are also uh, meant to be absolutely secular. We as a radio uh, training school for, for choristers, we also have a secular mission. However, the, the crossroads of, of our art history and uh, and the music that comes from that. I mean, it's we we cannot separate. Could, can we? Should we just deprive children of singing Bach? And uh, should we not be able to discover that whole part of the repertoire? And I always use as an argument exactly what Paul said earlier. For me, it's the quality of the performance and trying to to touch that beauty together and try to achieve that together as performers and try to offer that to the audience. Um, because I do think uh, that our repertoire, I mean, we, we are just so lucky being Europeans. We could develop classical music. Uh, and I still think it's one of the greatest achievements of mankind. And we were lucky enough over here to have the conditions reunited to create this art form and so I, I try to approach it um, and it's especially with uh, other teachers and also with the ministries over here of culture and ministry of education uh, that we have to tread carefully and and I try to use a standpoint which is more perhaps intellectual or cerebral than talking about the emotion that the music uh, brings us because I feel that I go over to a zone that make people a little bit nervous at the moment um, because of course it's important to be inclusive it's important to really reflect the multifacets of our society and this uh, at the French radio is definitely our mission um, but however we we also need to dare to share the the jewels and treasures of our tradition. And I think that you have to be careful, but also quite militant about it to, to dare to continue to, to do all this repertoire. And as Paul said, you know, if you grow up singing this music and if you have the, if you come into contact with these pieces, it was certainly the case for me as well, uh, singing Bach and Mendelssohn being a very young child and in very, uh, uh, how should we say, very <laughs> modest uh, level of performance in my childhood, but it doesn't matter. Good music, great music is great music. Great art is great art. And coming into contact with that, as, as Tito said, with all its other virtues, uh, it just brings all these elements together that just make life more beautiful. Uh, it's just a, a beautiful ingredient to be able to have in your life. Touching moments. Those are the things that uh, still, still touch me right to my core. I remember the day when I decided I wanted to do this thing. I was five years of age 
by mistake, my parents got on the wrong bus and took me to Salisbury Cathedral. And we wandered into Evensong on a November afternoon. And I just said to myself, age five, I want to be that boy. And we just, we, 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 because of the bloody COVID, um, a number of things we had running had to stop or be paused. But we were just starting to teach good music, the jewels of music, in an inclusive way to a vast variety of kids in our church schools. And I just leave you, well, I just give you one thought that really struck me. Um, we were in Wisbeach Parish Church. So Wisbeach is a town right on the wash. It's um, massive numbers of uh, immigrant workers. Um, it's socially deprived. It's got a big bloody church right in the middle of it, St. Peter and St. Paul, built by the Hanseatic League, virtually empty on a Sunday. We uh, put together the choir of St. Catherine's College, Cambridge, and 70 children from local primary schools who wouldn't know a note of music if it was to bite them. And they sang together the Allegri Miserere. The cathedral, uh, the, the chapel choir sang the difficult bits and the kids sang the plain song. And I just stood at the door on the way out because of course the place was full of parents and watching the parents with their child all shake my hand on the way out because of the opportunity that that presented. And I just want to do that to millions of kids. Um, I think you've already mentioned, you know, some of the, the health benefits, but also strong um, academic research into life chances increased by engagement in music, not just from the team sport, but from mental health, from an academic perspective. It teaches self-discipline, all of those things that I think, you know, we're at a very difficult time and it's folk like us that have to keep it alive. Uh, and long may it stay alive. It is timeless. It's a wonderful book. Uh, you should shut me up, Henry, if I keep going on too much. Wonderful book written um, by a man called Ronald Blythe, which is a story, it's an um, oral history of rural communities in Suffolk and, and Norfolk in the eastern part of England. One of the uh, interviews is with an old man, 96 years of age on his deathbed. And he says, there was singing. We all had singing then, and this was my pleasure too. You might recognize the, the, the words because they've been set to music by Bob Chilcott. And um, it was the story of this chap's life where singing was the thread that ran through uh, his entire nearly 100 years. And long may that continue for us all, actually. I should add, as a footnote to, to both Tito and to Sophie, we also need people to look up to. We need role models to listen to and things to see that show us what it can be like. And I want that's, kids that's to have that same true. moment. The same moment I had at age five, I want to be that person. And, and that's why I saw that night in Wisbech. And I'm going to shut up now because I could get quite enthusiastic about this. But the look on the, on the parents' faces when they see, see their children glowing because they were looking around thinking, what on earth is that sound? It's a top C. What is that? And watching a 17-year-old girl singing it was just amazing. I've had I agree. To share that. <laughs> I, I agree so much with that. I mean, it's... It's something that is uh, so very special to, to discover and so important to come in contact with. And we know what it creates, as, as we said, about friendship, about the social skills that you develop, about the camaraderie, about uh, being a responsible uh, part of your society and community uh, as well when we sing together and make music together. And I think we all know, uh, being in contact with this every day, that you know, if all children could 
practice uh, singing together, uh, there would be less fights in the schoolyard. We, we know this for a fact. Um, and it, it does still take convincing, but I, I do think that um, it, it should be sort of a constitutional right, really, to uh, have access to this. And, uh, um, and I, I do think that the sacred repertoire for us, it's, um, although we're, we're going towards a climate here in, in France where I, I don't know who started this because I have the feeling, you see, that it doesn't actually come from the, from the different communities. I think that it came from the first people I heard speaking about this worry of bringing sacred repertoire, you know, out in, in, in different uh, schools where they were a, a, perhaps a majority of non-Christian. Um, those concerns came from other teachers and they came from French members of the society. Um, and I mean, it's, it's difficult to say, I understand the concern, but I also think that we might have created a problem partly because I all I met was, as Paul said, parents shaking my hands, being enthusiastic. Uh, and the only thing that they they sometimes asked, you know, the mothers asked, can I can I wear a veil when I come in and listen to this concert? And, and we just reassured everyone and we explained how it is to come to a concert that takes place in a church. And and what is it when we sing a mass within a, a radio produced concert? And and I. I just never felt that same uh, worry from the families themselves. But maybe I have a, a wrong view of it. But I, I suddenly, yeah, I, I'm not sure where this originated. Peter, go on, you look. Well, I, I and, um, and I, I love the idea of uh, putting into the constitution. And <laughs> that's really great. I, th I think we should work on that uh, on a European level. Um, although for Paul, that might be more difficult now, uh, <laughs> being out of the European community. But let's um, start off. It's uh, no. Let's not start on that topic. Um, no, but it's 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 it's. I do think it is necessary to create um, a new canon. Um, I I think there are two ways people listen to music with text. Uh, there are ones that relate a lot more to the text and then get emotional through the text. And there are others who just react to the magic of the, of the, of the, of the melodies, of the harmonies. Um, I think um, we might be able to create beautiful music, but we shouldn't miss out on on, on the fact that the text is highly, highly important. And that um, uh, therefore, I think it is important that we, we, we look for ways to create texts, to, to dig into sources that, that resonate uh, not only amongst Christian people, but also amongst other uh, uh, beliefs and, and groups in, in society. And I, th I think we as professional choirs, uh, uh, Sophie and uh, Paul, we have, we have the, the um, obligation also to, to think of how we shape that into our commissionings. Uh, we did a project called 150 Psalms, which was uh, a huge project with 150 Psalms by 150 composers covering a thousand years of choral music. Um, 
but the Psalms are about much more. They are about refugees. They are about unrighteousness. They are about uh, injustice. And it's um, um, and what not a lot of people know is that the Psalms that two and a half thousand years old, they, they are a source not only for the Christians and Jews, as it is part of the Old Testament, but it's also a holy writing for, uh, for uh, uh, mentioned as a holy writing several times in, in, uh, in the Quran. And what we try to achieve also commissioning new uh, psalm settings is to invite also people from, from, from uh, the United Arab Emirates, from Lib Lebanon, uh, and to, to dig into to those texts and see yeah, how, how, how they all relate, how they relate to all of us, actually. And I think in, in sacred texts, um, also from the Bible, there are wonderful opportunities to create um, a new repertoire. Um, and I'm talking about the Lamentations. They are about, well, we're going to do a big project in 2023 called Cities. Um, it's, it's, uh, the, the Lamentations are about the fall of Jer Jerusalem, but when you take it broader, it's about the downfall of, of cities deterioration of cities in, in general, well, if there's one thing that's very actual current, then, then it's that, of course, and wouldn't it be possible, that's the, that's the track we're walking at the moment, to invite um, young people to, to relate to their cities and write, in a way, new lamentations. And when you combine them with those old lamentations, then of, all of a sudden, I think you can start feeling the strength of history if um and and um it becomes yeah it becomes a unifying force absolutely i think that idea of a new choral canon is fascinating that can be on, on many different levels as you say so making the the text of the lamentations relevant say with the new new settings and music um, but also demonstrating the relevance of that text. I know, Sophie, BBC singers are commissioned a great deal. And am I right yeah. in thinking that you, you mentioned to me once the Church of Sweden, the, despite separating from the state, is the biggest commissioner of new music in the country? Well, I mean, we have, we have many different commissioners. And I, I just think that sometimes people forget that the Church of Sweden uh, has been a great commissioner of, of, of new music. Uh, but um, it's... I think what what Tido says it's so it's so vital also to our activities as professionals. This is our duty uh, to reinvent. This is what has happened in in art music all through history. We have always searched for how do we make this relevant for us today. Uh, and it's not about just opening the cupboards and finding the obscure. It, it's about that too. But uh, I do think that this is such a, a, an important initiative. And I think for all musicians, really, uh, playing and singing the music of our time is, is just uh, crucial. And, and I do think that these texts, as you say, uh, Tito, they, they do have, of course, so many of them have universal messages. We have been uh, looking at, for example, the BBC who, who do the carol competition. Uh, if you have uh, seen this uh, thing for Radio 3, the singers take part. Uh, we have a panel. We, of course, uh, look at the uh, contributions uh, anonymously, so we have no idea who has written uh, the different settings. But uh, uh, it is a great motivator also to know that the singers will uh, sing the repertoire. It will be broadcast on Radio 3. And at the same time, 
I'm sort of amazed that we can still do this in France at the French radio. This would be an impossible thing to do. Uh, it would be taken as a as a as a really discriminating uh, measure to actually uh, suggest the Christmas Carol. This is how how worried people are today. Uh, and yet I think it's a fantastic opportunity um, to, uh, for, I mean, for some people, Christmas is about putting on a knitted sweater and drinking mulled wine. And you can be sensitive to what the carol can bring you as comfort, uh, although it's a different thing to you. So I, I, I do think it's great that it can uh, continue and that it has so much success. Um, and I do think that when we look to commission new music, uh, both with the BBC, but also in, in, in Paris at the radio, we also try to, to rethink and to see which perspectives can be new, which perspe perspectives can be interesting. And, and history has also shown that it's when someone also has sometimes an outside view, look at Holst and his mysticism and what that, what that brings into his sacred compositions. Um, and it's, I, I think it's always a very important thing to keep in mind and to keep working. And I, I look forward to hear this project about cities. It, it, it sounds, sounds amazing and, and very relevant indeed. Gosh, I'm so encouraged by what I'm hearing. Um, I, I just think it's, a, it's an amazing idea. I wonder, wonder what would happen if the BBC commissioned, instead of saying, write a carol, uh, just produced a text of something really beautiful. I don't care where it's from, canticles from something from the Psalmody, I don't know, and just set, set another monthly competition for some good piece of music. Oh, we would love that. I think we'd be, <laughs> be astonished. I yeah. mean, I, I, a near neighbour of mine is John Rutter, so uh, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> I can watch music come out by like wallpaper rolls. It's great. Just one anecdote about the Psalmody, if I may. The, the Roman Catholic Diocese of, the Lee, of Leeds right in, you know, deprived West Yorkshire, been their King's Choir College lookalike choir and have done outreach in schools and from which they have 20 audition choirs. It's amazing. And I went to, a, a, this, is the, this is a point to your point about uh, us nice middle-class people worried about inclusivity and about being exclusive. I go to the rehearsal and there are uh, 40 boys and girls of varying ages between six and I think 10. And Ben Saunders, who's the leader of the programme, turned to me and says, Paul, I, I need you to know I'm very worried about diversity in this choir. There are only two white kids here. And I just laughed my socks off because, of course, then they went upstairs to the cathedral and sang. And I said to the kids afterwards, what's your favourite bit? And they were doing a Talis Mass. I said, is, is Talis important? He said, no, no we, like doing, we like doing plain song. I said, why do you like doing plain song? He said, well, the words are always different but we know the tunes and we get this fantastic organ accompaniment. It just sounds so, it just sounds so big. And I thought, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and it sounded amazing. So it was a bit rough and ready. And, um, you know, there were boisterous kids singing um, a Talis Plains of Mass and uh, I was just blown away by it. So there is so much to be um, thankful for and so much to defend, so much to defend. We live in very perilous times, and I just take my hats off to you for doing all this stuff um, because it's very difficult down at the cold face. Absolutely, and it's something which sort of re reminds me of what you're saying here is also thinking about the 
um, the context of listening to this music as well, be it in a classroom, concert hall, radio broadcast, church, cathedral, etc., and how that might also influence the relevance and also considering that within spirituality in the larger sense. Does, does anyone have any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I mean, I, I think that for for the BBC, for example, I'm, I'm just thinking about I, from last year um, when we did the sort of contemporary carol uh, concert, we had a live broadcast last year and um, all these composers that were present, uh, it was just wonderful. It was not only all the composers of the programme, but it was also um, a lot of other composers who came to listen to their colleagues. And uh, we were in Temple Church for that one. But most people that I've met after, they weren't there for the concert because it's quite a small venue. They heard it on the radio. And I, I do think this is the, the magical thing with, I mean, this I, I love working for a, a broadcasting company for that. It's that it's completely democratic. Um, that, you know, you can just switch on your radio. You don't need to live in a big city. You don't need to live in a, you know, cultural epicenter. Um, and that we, it's our job to sort of try to create that atmosphere so that it transcends across the airwaves and that, that we try to create something just vocally and musically to create that space. Acoustically, of course, when you have the actual structure and architecture to help you, this is amazing. I mean, I think in King's College, you know, they sound the way they do because they sing also in the place where they are. I mean, we can see a lot of uh, traditions that develop because and thanks to the to the actual architecture that is that is linked to their singing. Um, but I think for other choirs, I think it's the same for Tido in the Netherlands and, and certainly for us that um, it's our flexibility and um, search for adaptability um, that should be our um, sort of visit cards or uh, something that we should do. We should be able to create a magical space. Uh, you know, now with the with the COVID crisis, uh, we have to record standing 2.5 meters apart in Maida Vale. And you cannot say that the studio two has magical lighting and, you know, it's it looks anything but atmospheric, but it's up to us to create that. And I do think that we can we need to imagine it and achieve it acoustically and, and musically. And uh, you know, this, is, this is a modern society where, where a modern society can be actually helpful to bring this out and, and, to, and to create it in different ways. And well, I think you just, well, Ely Cathedral got that perfect platform to create that magical experience. But I suppose, does it have, Paul, is it, is it a double-edged sword? Because also, is it perhaps, when you're thinking of diversity and inclusivity of, of your space. And I think Sophie mentioned Sailor Cathedral is also a, a place of culture and a Christ, Christ, um, Christian churches, etc. a place of culture, not anything else. Is that... Let me just correct one thought. It might, be great, it might be great to sing in the stalls at King's College, Cambridge, but I can tell you singing in the stalls in um, the Holy and Undivided Trinity in Ely is massively terrifying because all the sound disappears straight up into the 13th century lantern. And if you're not very careful, tonality goes completely out the window. So it's a scary place to sing. Um, but it's also a beautiful space in which to sing. And I mean, I think, you know, I speak as someone, one of the 1.2 million people in the UK who religiously, pun not intended, tune into Coral Eden Song every Wednesday afternoon at three o'clock. 
And um, I, but I, I, I then check myself and think, you know, even in my own case, we have, we work with 24 boys and 12 men and uh, 20 girls and eight men. And you think actually up the road, there's a school full of 17,000 people in, in the Ely area, 70,000 school children. You think how exclusive is this? And there's a balance and a trade-off between accessibility and outreach at the same time as maintaining standards and excellence. And it's a real conundrum. And of course, something that the Church of England's battling with, there's just been a celebrated bust up at Sheffield Cathedral about the nature of the cathedral choir. And um, I think by doing some of the things I've been hearing about this morning, um, particularly about outreach in a different way, in more volume, in more number, um, it's incumbent upon those of us who have any say in this to make sure that we are addressing um, this and not being complacent about who we are. I'll just leave, uh, say one thought, um, which is, Thank God for the radio. <laughs> I mean, I can sit. I've been in some pretty scrapey positions in my life. You know, I've seen some pretty bad things. But there was always the radio. I could always come home and find some Brahms and pour myself a small Quavazier and think that the world wasn't quite so bad. And, and a long way that continue. And to thank you both uh, for the work you do, because I listen to you too, Tito. I listen to any choral music, anytime, anywhere, actually, as long as it comes through the wireless. Thank you. Well, yeah, that's uh, a very interesting point. The radio has no boundaries. It's very true. But sorry, Tito, you're going to say. No, no. It, it's I'm I'm relating to that that context. Um, if, for example, we did a, a project about dementia um, um, called Forgotten, the, the the shape of the program is actually. Um, on the outside, there's the, the, the uh, our the uh, Brahms uh, cycle, "Warum ist das Licht gegeben," and in the inside, there um, it, it's actually a musical voyage through the mind of somebody with dementia. In the inside, we have this this very avant-garde uh, kind of, kind of music, because of the topic and because we combine it with with uh, with an actor. Um, um, we were creating tableaus in between the music. This, um, there were actually a lot of people just interested in the topic of, of dementia who came to the concert, um, not knowing a lot uh, about classical music or let alone choral music. Um, and they would come to me afterwards and they would say, well, I, I'm not sure if I liked that piece of what's what's her name, Saria Ho. Uh, I, I, it's 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 uh, it's too much for me, but it it was so well um, um, putting into sound the 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 fears uh, and the, the the what I think my father or my mother, uh, the person with dementia, was is going through at this moment. So it it can really create atmospheres. Um, uh, that that everybody can relate to, and uh, I think it's it's the magic. And then, then I'm coming back to Paul again. It's the magic of 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 music, which is which is must appeal to to everybody. I think, of course, then you can create things around it and and have a wonderful side programming uh, for the 150 psalms. We had uh, uh, in in we did it in Brussels as well, and we had a. 
bishop, a rab, uh, the, the bishop, uh, the, the, the main rabbi, and one of the principal imams of Brussels sitting together at the table talking about the significance of um, of the Psalms and, and how they would relate to the to to what the Psalms uh, mean to us nowadays and what they would mean to their to the people that way they were leading in within from within their uh, uh, churches or synagogues or I was just going to say that King David you know he was onto something he was definitely onto something <laughs> it is the most amazing uh, uh, calligraphy of one's life and of course for many years I've sung you know daily psalms um, between six and a half and 14 years of age I went through the psalm of the uh, probably about a thousand times so I can it's all in my head and such a great grounding in um, in uh, the landscape of one's life, because you know David went through it at all, really. Um, so I really applaud that um, uh, the work you're doing with the Psalms. I think it's great. What is so beautiful about it is the is the fact that I I, I think they were um, we we don't know if they were written actually by King 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 David. Uh, uh, of course, the, 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 it's 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 probably many people who worked on that book um, at the same time, uh, or and they are collected, of course, eventually. Um, yeah, I just, but, I just yes. like to think we were sitting there with a pen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, but the idea that there are people two and a half thousand years ago who write texts that are so basic, so, so much relating to us now, that's something that I find remarkable, and um, and that's why they're a continuous source for for composers to um, to use um, to make it, to put to create beautiful notes. Who could have written? Who could have written? My bones are out of joint. Mine heart, even in the midst of my body, is like melted wax. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> Just wow! Yeah. And what we did with the 150 Psalms, we had a photo exhibition, and exactly that text, we put it under underneath a photo of the of, of the shore in Greece, uh, with only yeah. remain, remains of clothes of, of of refugees who had tried to pass off the, the Mediterranean Sea, and how current these texts then all of a sudden become, and that's something that everybody can relate to, and if we can. Um, yeah, there's a there's a mission for for choral music in that sense. We oh, shouldn't, as 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 Sophie was saying, we shouldn't deny our the 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 the, the great tradition that we have in, in the, by create a new canon and then deny the great tradition and the great sources that we have of of of, of choral sacred music from within Europe. Obviously, mostly based on 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 Christian texts, but. Um, um, uh, the, 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 you can also look at it from a dis different perspective, not only creating a new canon by creating new texts, but also look where is the common ground in, in those very old texts uh, that we, the, the elements of those texts that we can all relate to. Absolutely. And I suppose by way of um, bringing this all together um, and considering well, the, the topic really of uh, the relevance of sacred music, in a secular society and is there 
by way of running off, can you all perhaps give some recommendations of composers that are perhaps tackling this in a particularly distinctive way that are addressing this topic quite pertinently? I'll let the musicians go first. <laughs> I'm not one really. Be it oh. either through, as Tito was saying, using the old texts and making them relevant today or with new texts and still having sacred music going, maybe the new, new lamentations, for example, whatever it might be. Or even an old recommendation, it could be Bach, it could be Talis. <laughs> for, for my part, it's, it's so, um, it's the inclusiveness of it all that is so important. And, you know, although I am a big fan myself of the more sort of edgy takes on things and uh, the musical challenges uh, that comes with, uh, with certain composers and not with others, but I certainly, I, I have a, such a, a hard time saying, you know, who I don't want to state a sort of preference. So I'm going to do one of the old references. Uh, there is one, I mean, I never get tired of working on Poulenc uh, repertoire. And, you know, this sort of famous thing, you know, half a monk, half a crook. But it's really that humanity of the of the artist and his fondness of the theatre and the drama. I mean, as we see in Purcell, as we see in Bach, as we see in, in many of the great composers. Uh, for me, it is through Poulenc's um, quirkiness and his humour that the deepest uh, philosophical sentiments come to life. And uh, his sacred music, I think for a lot of orchestral players, they don't even know, they don't even know the writing uh, that, you know, the figure humaine, his secular cantata, the, the powerfulness of this, or, I mean, for, for us in the choral world, I mean, a Poulain Gloria, which is just sort of, you know, that feeling of Benedictine monks playing football, you know, that's, the sort of refreshing yet absolutely marvelous and magical way for me to take on um, sacred texts and music and and of course once again being so inspired by the text the power of the word uh, so um, I, that's one composer I, I I never grow tired of I must say thank you well we're coming full circle most going back to football Tito who would you recommend <laughs> Well, if I may recommend one obvious and one less obvious, um, when I was twenty, I was what they would—I was in what they would call now a, a burnout, I think—and um, I was highly confused. Uh, I didn't know what to do with my life. I didn't know what to study. I wanted to study music, but my parents, being both musicians, uh, said, "No, you shouldn't do that. Go and do law first. And I felt very, very unhappy. And was I was um, unstable, so, so so to speak. And at a certain point, I was just imagining well, because the one thing that I would hold on to was was music. And then all of a sudden, being under that huge amount of stress, I had the feeling I I, I could not feel anything anymore. So I was putting on one disc after the other for weeks, and and it didn't touch me in in any sense. And I thought, oh my God, now this last thing that I have is going to be taken from my hands. And then a friend of mine, a Russian friend, he gave me a CD of the Rachmaninoff Vespers and I had never, never heard huh. them. And I put them on and I burst out into tears. And just because of the sheer beauty of the music, but also because of the fact that I was able to touch, um, connect with my own emotions uh, again. Um, 
The other less obvious um, uh, the composer that I would like to recommend is, is somebody who writes a lot for choral, um, for choirs, and who actually lives in, in Paris, uh, Sophie. So you, you, you might know him. It's, uh, his, his name is Zad Moutaka. Oh, yes, from, I've uh, commissioned uh, psalm settings from Zad already. Uh, we started working together 10 years ago. I love Zad Moutaka, Lebanese. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and he is, um, he's an amazing composer it's it's he 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 is not only a polyglot but he but he's also a poly uh, um consumer of of of, of religious material from uh, going from 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 um islam to 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 maya culture to uh to to christianity he 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 takes all of these sources and yeah creates this sort of um, musical languages, which seems like a, the melting pot that we are living in and, and, and nowadays. And uh, um, yeah, I love him as a as a composer. We we commissioned uh, one of the psalm settings for 150 psalms uh, to him, and um, he didn't let me down. Definitely Th nice to hear you 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 are enthusiastic about him, Sophie. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't, that's, that's all inspiring. I, I don't quite know where it starts. I've got the entire canon of English choral music of the 20th and 21st centuries. And I, you, you can single out some things that are, are just amazing to sing. And I, I come from a singer's perspective. Sometimes I hear the BBC singers, and I think that's an amazing piece of music I could never sing. But um, if you think about Macmillan and some weir, there's a piece called Cana's Guest. I can't remember who it's by, but it's just amazing to sing. So I'm a singer's singer in that sense. And I'm going to I'm going to set aside Wormsley, Stanford, Leighton, Vaughan Williams, you know, all that lot. And I'm going to pick a French person. And it's Duroufle. And i tell you why. Um, uh, I came to release now nearly seven years ago after, after my wife died. So I was in a pretty poor place, actually. And didn't really pick up very much until I listened to the last, it's the last 40 bars of the Duroufle Requiem, where there's no singing. It's the last page, just have to play it, which I do quite often. And in the Mies Bass, there is also the last three pages where nobody sings. And it's the most sublime, transcendental music I think I've ever heard. And the, and the Requiem is pretty good too. Um, and it's, a, it's, the, it's the way in which they, t I know it's hackneyed, but all those plain song, familiar friends, those plain song uh, motifs from the Mass and from the Requiem, turned into sublime music. It's probably the apogee of my enjoyment and it's a singer's piece. It's a real singer's piece. Well, thank you all for sharing that. And I think what the continuity there is this, the emotional pull that this music has and what it means to all of us and, and to other people. And it, after Paul, if I may recommend yeah. another book. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it, it's, it touches upon this, um, the, the naming our favorite uh, the choral compositions and favorite composers. It's, it's a book by uh, Helmut Krauser and it's called Melodies. And it's about this, this man, an alchemist, who is actually not trying to, to, to make gold, but he's trying to find the perfect melodies for, for each emotion in order to uh, sort of gain control over the world and one of them is the the Missa Pape Marcelli of Palestrina but it's 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 um uh, but the, the the book has about 50 pages of another 
uh, composer that I dedicated a, a long time of my uh, career to, uh, Gisualdo. Um, but the book in itself is, is, is magnificent. It reads like a, like a thriller. Um, um, but the idea of this alchemy with, with, with music, I, I, I find that very inspiring idea. Mm. I'm going to get straight on it. Me too. We should uh, let me know what you think. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. Thanks for joining us, Paul, Sophie and Tito. And thank you also to our producer, Fiona Livingston, and sound editor, Merlin Thomas. Our theme music is composed by Robert Cochran. If you haven't done so already, be sure to check all the other episodes out of The Culture Bar with topics ranging from art sponsorship to the future of music technology and international cultural exchange. And to get all that and more, please subscribe. See you next time. Bye.